Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor with a group practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll talk about womanhood, motherhood, and a little bit of everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. A word from our sponsors. Uber is the destination for new and expecting parents to find the expert classes and on-demand care providers like doulas, mental health therapists, lactation consultants, and more they need to thrive from pregnancy to postpartum. Jada Shapira is a maternal health expert and the founder of Boober, where expectant parents and new families find on-demand expert care and high-quality classes, pregnancy to postpartum. She founded Boober to empower expectant and new parents to transform their pregnancy, birth, and postpartum experiences and outcomes through expert education and easy access to qualified maternal health care providers. She is a birth and postpartum doula, childbirth educator, lactation counselor, birth photographer, mother, and stepmother. For all of your pre-baby and postpartum care, check out Boober so that you can get the expert advice that you need. Self-care for busy caring person does not have to be time consuming or expensive, but the practice of self-care is necessary and worthwhile for your health and well-being. Being that there are so many effective ways for you to take care of yourself better and G. Michelle Self-Care Resources has dedicated space to support you in taking care of you better. G. Michelle Self-Care Resources is a wellness resource space that encourages hardworking, caring people to make self-care a part of their lives for compassionately addressing, educating, and offering opportunities to be supported on their self-care journey with our interactive workshops and self-care resources. The Self-Care Investment and Self-Care Explore Self-Restore. Check out our show notes so that you can get the link so you can purchase your own, the Self-Care Investment, Self-Explore, Self-Restore, Guided Self-Care Journal so that you can make the best of your self-care experience. Hey guys, we are just a little over a week before the big summit on Saturday, September 18th. I just wanted to drop in real quickly to remind you, it's going down virtually from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. And we're going to be having a great time talking about identity, self-esteem, enjoying your body that you're in, meeting other mothers, doing meditation, and just having a really great time of being able to refresh and getting back to the old you. So if you haven't already, purchase your ticket over at pushthroughmom.com. For our listeners, use promo code PUSH to get $10 off. Purchase it for yourself or get it for a friend that's a mom, birthing parent, someone who's pregnant or already have kids that you think may really need this. Hope to see you next Saturday. All right. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And I am honored to have a very old friend join me on the show today. This is Jessica Ann Mitchell Awuyor. Thank you so much (laughs) for being on the show. Hey, Jessica. Hey, Keisha. Thank you for having me. Yay, my friend. I know. I know. Like, I haven't verbally spoken to you in how long? (laughs) I don't know. I feel ashamed. No, I feel ashamed. 
shame. Like it's been like a minute. It's been a minute. And I tried to connect with you. I went to DC. When was that? 2018, I think it was. And I was like, Ooh. oh, let me text her. But I know the schedules were like off because we had came up to go to the African American Muse- Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I haven't seen you in a long time. And yeah. you look great, by the way. You look great. I'm like, you, you're giving high school, Keisha. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> high school. <laughs> but, okay, so I know I've known you, and I've known you since the ninth grade, um, which is, like, crazy. When I was, we were class of 2003, and I've been seeing all these cars that say, like, class of 2025, and I'm like, oh, oh my God. Let <laughs> 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 me feel yeah. old. But I know um, I know you. Um, introduce yourself or tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jessica Ann Mitchell. I will your. I am a writer, author, cultural storyteller, and I'm the founder of the National Black Cultural Information Trust. And we share stories and information and resources that uplift the collective freedom of Black communities. Mm. So, okay, so how my my thoughts on Jessica is, Jessica, to me, of course, I haven't verbally talked to you since high school, but I feel like you've always been a very um, Afrocentric, Black, aware person since I've known you, and you've always been very authentic and um, eager to learn and vocal I remember when we were in high school, you were really into dance. And we even did Still Magnolia together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it would be like me, you, Brian Collins, riding around in your car. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) Just living life or whatnot. But um, it's so amazing, all of the great things that you've been doing, writing books, and just like really like living in your calling. And now kind of like what brought us back together now to have this conversation is motherhood. Um, And I know that when we were young, you know, we were just kind of like living our lives and just like figuring it out. But did you feel like you always knew that you wanted to be a mom or was that something that you felt like you stumbled into? I feel like I always wanted to be a mom. I never not imagined myself. I, I never imagined myself not being a mother. I feel like I always wanted that for myself. I wasn't sure what it looked like, but I'm pretty sure I always wanted to be a mom. And who who were maternal influences for you growing up? Oh, majorly my grandma, Hattie Virginia Jones, my maternal grandma, um, and my paternal grandma, um, Annie Sanders Mitchell, uh, both of them were big influences, but I spent more time with Virginia and she was just a big influence. She was just so sweet and kind and she cared not just about her own kids, but the whole community. And when I was in high school and I would visit her, I would spend like a week, I'd get to spend a week in Augusta. My grandmother would do, would like buy all this food and I would ride with her in, in her van. And I didn't know where we were going. Mm. And she was dropping off food at homes of people that just didn't have any food. Like 
parents were drug addicts or stuff like that and the kids wouldn't have supervision and my grandmother would come in there and give them bags and bags of food and they would just say thank you miss jones mm. anyone could knock on her door and and ask to go pick peaches from her tree or, or pecans from the tree in the back and they would let them in through the house to go to the back and anybody could knock on the door and just ask miss jones can i go pick some peaches or pecans or whatever and she would let them back there she was just a very kind generous nice um okay so that's that's awesome to hear that and um you had twins yes <laughs> i did <laughs> and like i don't i don't know many people personally that have twins um but i know statistics around twins i know um uh, it can be uh, exciting and it can also come with challenges, um, but it's also a very big blessing at the same time. So when you first learned that you were pregnant with twins, how did you process that? Let's back up one second. <laughs> <laughs> because I was at my wedding and my first cousin, Maurice, was there and she brought her beautiful baby boy twins with her mm -hmm. to DC for the wedding. And I was all in the photos. I was all hugging on them. And I said, I want twins. You stole my idea. I want twins. <laughs> Why did I say that? Speaking into the universe, Jessica. <laughs> Literally like eight weeks later, I was pregnant. Wow. After like, after the wedding, it was just like a short amount of time. I found out like, I'm pregnant. Um, actually, I didn't find out right then, but I was pregnant then. And I did not know it was twins. It took me a minute to get in the doctor's office. And when my OBGYN first checked me, she saw, oh, you're pregnant. She saw one. Mm. She didn't look for a second. And I was really, really sick. And I kept saying, I don't know why I feel like this, but I feel horrible. And my mom thought I was totally overreacting being a drama queen. And I'm, she's like, oh, my pregnancies, I was fine. And I'm like, mom, I promise I'm not making this up. I feel horrible. So um, I went for a, a second uh, a sonogram. I believe that's what it's called. I'm not great with all these things. And... <laughs> The guy that was doing this, this uh, very nice older Japanese man, and he was looking for the heartbeat. And he was like, oh, you know, I was getting worried because it tickled me. So, oh, there it is. And then he said, oh, there's the other one. And like tears just came down. I was like, the what? <laughs> Excuse me? He was like, yeah, you're OPGYN. She didn't tell you? Like, she didn't say? She didn't? tell you it was two I was like no she didn't say it was two and <laughs> she missed it she just missed it wow so I didn't find out even when I was getting care in the beginning I didn't know and my doctor didn't know I was carrying twins wow. it was a big shock to me and then I was like see what you asked for <laughs> now you, you know <laughs> but yeah it was a, it was I was really happy to know that I, I had my, my twins. Wow. So what was the pregnancy like? I was sick. Mm. 
I was really sick and I was really thirsty. I would buy those uh, fruit boxes and keep them really cold and pack them in my purse. Mm -hmm. And um, those, I would be on the train going to work, just drinking, throwing back boxes of juice. I would have huge, uh, huge, like 7-Eleven cups of water all the time. Mm -hmm. I was always thirsty. I could barely eat beef, like the smell of it like repulsed me mm -hmm. so I started going to some of the like vegan soul food places to mm -hmm. get like a, a vegan burger or stuff like that I just couldn't eat it it just I couldn't smell it um yeah I mean I I I, I was getting around pretty good but at some point I needed to just kind of be stationary and and rest and get a lot of rest because they carrying two people inside of you is a lot of strain on your body, yeah. your hormones, everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and what was labor and delivery like? Ooh, so they scheduled my delivery. At first, a lot of doctors, um, the way it worked at the hospital I was at in D.C. was there's like a circle of doctors. You have a main one, but they have their colleagues that can fill in for them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them were telling me that I needed to think of my options, quote unquote, kind of trying to steer me in the direction of a C-section. And... Um, when I spoke to my doctor privately at this point, I switched doctors because that first one that, that um, missed me, she messed up my medication and stuff too. I had to leave her alone, oh okay. get a second opinion and move on to another doctor. Yeah. Um, so by this time I had a doctor I was com more comfortable with that didn't miss important things. And he uh, assured me that I could have a vaginal birth. And, um, that's what, that's what happened at, we were, it was a scheduled induced, um, birth, but it didn't happen on the day they scheduled it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was scheduled for like April 3rd. And I was really upset because that's both my mother and my husband's birthday. Mm -hmm. And I was like, please, I want my kids to have their own birthday. So anyway, uh, it took two days though, for us to get to the point where I could finally, I was able to, uh, push them out or whatever. But um, it took two days. Uh, it was basically the early morning of April the 5th where they felt like, okay, it's taken us a long time to get here, but we do think you're, you're ready. You're ready. Mm. So um, I, I got the epidural. The first time was horrible. So this is really good to talk to nurses because uh, I told them how I felt and they, they listened to me. That's good. They tested me and they said it wasn't put in right. And they went back and got someone else that they said can do it better. <laughs> and they, they put it in correctly. And it was so much better after that. The first time my heart was racing really hard mm. and it just, I felt off. I didn't feel right. And I'm glad my nurses listened to me. They were great. And, um, I went and to a surgical room. I didn't get to give birth in my normal room because twins was considered high risk and they wanted to be able to do an emergency C-section if they had to. So I was in a surgical room and my mother wasn't allowed in, only my husband hmm. because of the room. Um, but once I got in there, I don't know what took over. It was just like I pushed out a fossa in 45 minutes. 
And then I took a five minute rest. I, they put, they showed her to me. I looked at her and she was just so beautiful. Then I rested for like five minutes and then I pushed out a Sosa. Um, a Sosa was breached most of the pregnancy. She, she's the way she is now. We can get into that later, but she was flip flopping the whole time in my, inside of me, she was a flipper Yeah, and she was breached most of the pregnancy. But, um, my doctor sure, he felt like once I get the first one out, she would flip into the right position. And she did. Mm-hmm. Once I got her sister out, it sh- I felt her move and she went down head first. Oh, what? Immediately, like as soon as the fossa came out, Asosa repositioned the right way and wow. she wasn't breached anymore. And it was perfect. Like, I guess she just needed room. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I pushed her out in 10 minutes after my five minute break and I had my babies. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So a couple of things. Um, we know the statistics for black mothers um, and the mortality rate for black mothers. And of course it isn't so much of us being black. That's the issue, but it's our providers that do the service. That is the actual issue. And so the thing that I loved hearing the most is that you recognize that your first OB was not someone that you were comfortable with and you switched, which I always like to tell mothers to feel empowered, even if it's up until your due date. If you ain't comfortable, get somebody else because your birthing experience is is very vital to you. And then even how you were communicating with your nurse and telling this is not comfortable for me, you know, can we work something around? feeling empowered, how did you really tap into your strength and your supports? Because like you said, giving birth to twins is considered at risk and so many things can go on. And and especially like being where you're giving a, a vaginal birth, but you're in a surgical room. How did you like tap into yourself and really lean on everybody that was there to support you to get through that? Well, I have to say I have a bit of a cheat code. My mother's an RN and has been an RN for about 40 years. So she's always in my ear like, second opinion, second opinion. No, what did they say? No, let's check that. Let's double check. No, wait, I've seen this before. Like nurses are amazing. And my mom, like she is incredible. So she was the main, like knowing, like having experience being her daughter and her having been a nurse my entire life, like that helped me to feel like, if, you know, I was aware that I need to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. My mom was is always the one to ask a follow-up question concerning anything medical. And when I was in college, I had like a issue with my breast and they wanted to do a surgery. They were recommending surgery and my mom was right there going, what's the second option? Mm. And they were like, Oh, stop drinking ca- caffeine. And it should, I'm like, why didn't you say that the first time? <laughs> Everything was fine. Um, so anyway, her and then my paternal grandmother, Annie Sanders Mitchell, she had had a set of twins back in her day when they were midwives mm. and she was still alive. Um, she didn't pass away till my daughters were about two. So I called I called her and leaned on my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Grandma, I know you had twins. I don't know what to do. They're telling me 
you know, I might need to get a C-section. I might need to, I I don't know what to do. And Mm -hmm. she told me, well, when I gave, she just told me about her birthing experience. When she gave birth to twins, she was in her home. She had a midwife. She uh, pushed out her son. And then the midwife was like, Annie, I think there's another one in there. Oh, wow. And they reached in and pulled out my aunt. And she was so excited because that was her first girl. And, you know, so like she had no idea that she was carrying twins all the way up until that point. But just having that experience and and her telling me what she did and how her birth, it made me feel more sure of myself and that I could speak up and say, you know, if there's no real medical reason for me to get this C-section, why are you, why are folks pushing me to get one? And then my doctor, him reassuring me, I didn't need one. Some people really need one. And that's great. You know, that's fine because black women, we need as much a medical attention and uh, as possible Mm -hmm. and and to be listened to. And some people die of various complications. Mm -hmm. But if you don't need it, then you know, it, 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 that's another issue of that being pushed on us. Right. So I didn't need it. He assured me that I, that some other doctors have their own opinions, but he didn't believe I needed it. And so I leaned on all those conversations that I had with folks and day of, I, re- I just felt ready day of. Mm, love it. So then after you go home, what was the postpartum experience like? with having two kids. Oh, I feel like that was a whirlwind. I really don't know if I paid attention to it. I mean, I was tired at first. I remember first looking at my body going, why do I look six months pregnant? <laughs> like I thought it would just flatten out. And I I was not one of them snapbacks. I was <laughs> I was not was in the mirror. Like my stomach was hanging and I was like, Whoa, why? Like, what's going on? But, and, um, my husband's Nigerian. And so he was telling me, you know, traditionally folks would do like a wrap mm-hmm. around new mothers and stuff. But his mother, it took her a minute, another week or two before she could arrive, um, to help me. But, um, I, I just kind of let that part of it go. Like I'm a new mom. I think that it's I think that it's actually dangerous to over focus on that whole snapback thing. Yeah. Like let people be human. Yeah. Let us and and we should have human expectations for ourselves. And so once I got to that point, like I'm looking at my baby, I'm 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 like, why am I even worried about this stomach right now? My babies are laying on me, they're mm. cuddly, they they like my squishiness. <laughs> this is what we're rolling with. Yes. We'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it and then Um, I think for me, part of the postpartum was figuring out my, refiguring out my eating habits again, Mm -hmm. because I was, I I was eating not like my normal self during the pregnancy. Like I said, beef, I couldn't really smell that kind of stuff. I was just trying to figure out what's the best type of foods for me at this point. Another thing was breastfeeding. I was having difficulty with that. Um, my children actually had to go to the NICU for a few days Mm. and I wasn't able to breastfeed them. And I also was having trouble getting the milk 
to come out. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got the milk right, they were attached to their bottles. Mm-hmm. So when I spoke to the pediatrician, you know, she also reassured me, you're not superwoman. You just push two people out of your body. Right. Don't feel bad about this. It's okay if you want to. If you, you can still try, you know, breastfeeding, if bottle works, do it, do what's best for you. Because at that time, like twins hit you real fast. Like, cause it's two tiny people that need everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried pumping milk. I tried doing the, I just couldn't get it at the time. I just couldn't. So, um, I wrestled with my feelings over that, but then I, I just decided I'm going to do what's best for them, yeah. get them the best formula possible and move on from there. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Did you ever feel like it was ever overwhelming because you had to versus having to, to take care of one? I think it, I think it is. I definitely think it is um, because you want to have those special moments with your, with your newborn, yeah. right? And your kid, you have two. And I, even though I have two and I think it's beautiful and I love it, it's like I have to also make sure that I'm paying both of them a lot of attention so they both get what they need. Mm. You know, like I have to deal with the, uh, what is it, cradle cap and yeah. get that together. You got to deal with checking on their, uh-oh. <laughs> There's a frog in our house. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but um I um I was just trying to make sure that I pay close attention to them. Mm-hmm. Uh case in point, like I said, Asosa was flipping a lot when she was inside of me. When she came out and, and we finally got approval to take her from NICU, I I tried to watch both of them e- evenly, even though I feel like it's hard to do. Yeah. Um she was just too chill for me because hmm. I felt like inside of me, she was very animated. And then she gets out here and she just feels she looks too chill, a little t- uncomfortable. She's not doing all the theatrics she was doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did pay close attention to that. I took her to the pediatrician. They said, oh, it's just normal. She's just a newborn. She's tired. I said, no, check her nose. Please do something. I wanted them to swipe her nose because I felt she was breathing weird. And she had an infection. She had an infection. And after we got her some medication and cleared up, that girl was flipping and flopping and being who she was inside of me again. So, like, it's very important to be able to have that be able to pay that level of attention to your kids. And it is harder when you have twins. Right, right. That intuition is so important to tap into, Um, which I just think that it's just incredible to be able to balance both kids, like your body's healing, hormonally you're adjusting, you're not adjusting to one child, but you're adjusting to two children. Your life has drastically changed because you went from just being like one independent person to now you have like two people dependent on you can't just get up and go to quick trip at 2 a.m in the morning like you got like a whole thing you got to do yes Yes. (laughs) which is a lot who um were your supports I know I heard you say that your mother-in-law like flew in at some point Mm -hmm. but who else was at home that helped you yes 
Well, my mom, she came, she came from Georgia and she stayed for about two weeks. She was there during the delivery. She was there for like another two weeks, uh, another week or so after birth. And my husband, of course, is there. He's new dad and he's doing everything. He made me the best fish pepper soup and brought it to the hospital. It was the best meal I ever had in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so good. And um, every time he would come home from work, he would, you know, take his suit off and let let the babies rest on his chest and give me a little bit of space. When my mother-in-law came, she was like a savior, (laughs) savior. (laughs) (laughs) I have the most wonderful mother-in-law. She came from Nigeria. She stayed for about six months. Oh, wow. That is a blessing. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. She stayed for about six months and she was just so helpful, just helpful with everything, helpful with taking care of them, helpful with the whole bathing thing and me getting used to washing little people. Um, She was just an amazing person. And then she went back to Nigeria for a little while and then she came back again for another six months. Mm So um, she was really a big part of my support system. And my mom also would fly up at intervals uh, when she had breaks during work. Awesome. What would you say, um, like once you had gotten adjusted, you guys had like a a good routine, um, how were you able to just find balance with work? Because I know that you've always been like a scholar, um, someone who is definitely an achiever. How were you able to still go after all of the things that you had a passion for and then also balance motherhood and wifehood and all of those? On it. Um, But I think what was helpful is learning, getting my kids on a routine getting them with their naps schedule, getting their food together. I started having multiple bottles on deck upstairs and downstairs and having my downstairs diapers and wipes and my upstairs diapers and wipes and then taking advantage of when they go to sleep um, and trying to get my own rest. And sometimes, you know, I just have to say, look, I'm a mom and they're part of my life and they're coming. Mm. I did a I did a television interview on race um, on W USA DC. Mm-hmm. I was holding my babies. They came, set up the whole camera crew. I had two of them on each side of me, and we did the interview. Like I'm a mom. They're coming. I can't, you know, like they're a part of my life, and so I'm not gonna sit here and act like that's not me, you know. At yeah. some sometimes. You know, my life is still all over the place being a mom of twins. Um, But I have to, I think it's just, I have to keep re-embracing my own humanity. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like sometimes people think that we're supposed to be robotic or something. Like the moms that, that are supposed to have it all are supposed to have each thing in each individual box. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I have my job. I have my my husband and I have my kids. I have my whatever I'm doing. Um, but I have it all at the same time. Yeah. And there will be moments where the kids are, are there. They came to they come to my blogger conference every year that I host it. Um, 
And I just try to balance it out by getting them on a schedule that works for them, uh, making sure that I spend time with them, um, and just taking advantage of the quiet moments while I have them. I do. Sometimes I have to get up early to work on some things, work during nap time, also do some things after they go to sleep, especially with my own nonprofit. But also I have to prioritize my own rest and well-being because I would run on fumes if I didn't. So there are nights where I'm like, you know, I didn't get everything done that I wanted to get done. But that's okay. You know, the world continues to run. Everybody's going to live. But I have to take a nap. And that's <laughs> big ups to nap ministry because I they if you, anyone follows them, like that's been a really helpful resource. But nap. I have to take a nap or I just need to go to sleep on time to get my rest. Mm. How do you practice self-care? Like what, what are some of the things that you do that helps you take care of yourself? Um, I write. Um, I try to read. I can't really get through a full book right now, but I read a lot of news articles. Um, I do my reality TV. I'm, I, I haven't given married to medicine, you know, I, I haven't given up on my Atlanta reality TV. Atlanta's always the best. Any Atlanta franchise is always the best. Uh, so that's helpful for just relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to uh, go for walks, eat good food. Um, that's generally what my self-care is. I, I pray a lot. I listen to a lot of really good pastors like Sarah Jakes Roberts mm-hmm. or whatever when I'm washing dishes or cleaning. I part of my a big part of my self-care is just giving myself space and connecting with God and just remembering my purpose. Um, but that I know people are like reality TV and God. But yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but like Again, I'm human and, you know, we have to meet our human needs and we have to rest and we have to allow ourselves to be entertained at the same time. Absolutely. Um, How do you feel like your girls have changed you as a woman? They forced me to see things from different perspectives Um, and they've they've reinforced some of the ideas that I might have forgotten about. So for example, um, my daughter, Asosa, I call her like a little socialist <laughs> because like the, the ideas that come from kids' minds, she was saying, oh, um, she heard a conversation about money and she said, well, you don't want to get too rich. And we were like, why is so? So why wouldn't someone want to get rich? And she said, because other people will be poor and we don't want other people to be poor. Mm -hmm. I'm like, so wealth redistribution, go ahead, girl. (laughs) All right. We heard you. Okay, socialist. (laughs) And then there was a time where my husband was teaching my daughter, Afosa, about his grandfather's last name because those names get carried on in his ethnic group in Edo, Benin. And he was telling her my grandfather's name, my grandfather's name. Afunza said, okay, but like, what about the grandmother? Mm. What's the grandmother's name? Mm. And I said, okay, feminist. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah. Yes, I love it. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> or Africana womanist. Yeah. Okay, Afosa. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. But like they they remind me that a lot of these ideas and the thoughts that I learned, you know, they 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 are still inside of me and very much passed on to my daughters. And it 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 informs the fact that education is key, that also children's imaginations are more than what we think it is. They really have their own levels of worldly knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So it just reminds me that like that child, uh, the childhood education and the childhood creativity that we had growing up, like we should also re-examine, re-examine our own childhoods. Like what were our thoughts then? What was it then that led us down the road to the passions and the purpose that we have today? Mm-hmm. So they, they made me think about all of the things. Mm, I love that. Um, my final question is, um, I love how you talked about you definitely utilized your resources as you were preparing for birth, being able to have conversations with your mom, your grandmother, having your mom there as an advocate, being able to know to get a second opinion, get all the information needed. Um, For other Black mothers that are preparing for birth and have anxiety about, you know, will I live at the end of this? Or will I have the birthing experience that I want? Um, Especially ones that are having multiples. What advice would you give them? Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your how you feel. Get people behind you that listen to you. And seek a second opinion on matters of importance. And don't let people make you feel like you've lost your mind for how you feel or how you think about your own body. Um. I didn't go into the whole story, but the first OBGYN didn't just miss the twins. She over, she provide, she made me, she put me on a prescription that was much higher than I needed. It was, and, and it, and she, she shouldn't have been the one to do that. And when I went to a specialist, they immediately took me off the medication. And from the beginning, I did not want that medication and I didn't feel good about it. And she didn't listen to me. So it was two things that made me switch OBGYNs. So, but once I found one that I felt like listened to me and took me seriously and didn't, you know, he, he, he didn't have an ego. Mm-hmm. So he didn't mind sending me to a specialist. That was really helpful. So I feel like that is something that um, I would encourage a lot of mothers, especially of multiples, because each OBGYN does not have in-depth experience with everything that happens with your body when you're carrying multiples. And that was the issue there. The first one did not know, okay, if she has multiples, this might happen with her thyroids. It doesn't mean that she needs a high dosage. Maybe she needs a low dosage. Maybe she doesn't need anything. So you have to really find someone that understands what's going on with your body at that time, especially with multiples and people that listen to you. They should be listening to you because they can't tell you what you feel. They can tell you what they, what's going on with your body, like they can look at it, but they can't tell you how you feel and what the, the, 
the end all and be all with your body. So it's good to get a second opinion. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for your time. I am so grateful. I loved hearing about the story because I didn't. I uh, never knew it. Um, and just everything that you had to bring for anyone. Because you have written a children's book, right? I have multiple children's books. Um, <laughs> Rise and Shine, Dear Heart is a motivational poem for young girls. It shows our girls in their different skin tones, shapes, and sizes and encourages them to love themselves and embrace who they are and think about their future. Uh, I have African Safari Counting Book, Learning Numbers 1 through 20. And I have a new one called um, Five Black Eyed Peas. Uh, I haven't really promoted it yet, but that is a new one that's coming out. So I have multiple kids books. I love the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's on my publishing company, Our Legacy Press. Okay. Where where can everybody go to find you, purchase the book, follow your work? Where where can they go? Okay. For National Black Cultural Information Trust, folks can go to NBCIT.org. Uh, for Our Legacy Press, folks can go to OurLegacyPress.com. The legacy is spelled with the I. Um, so those are the two places where you'll find most of my work. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Keisha. Thank you.